Well, if you have your Bible with you this evening, I invite you to turn with me once again to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. We'll be considering the last half of this psalm, verses 5 through 8, this evening. Join me again as we ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and preaching of His Word. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your most holy Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have given it to us as a gift to show us Christ, to show us and to teach us about You and the ways of righteousness. We pray that Your Spirit would work in our hearts and minds to open our eyes to see open our understanding to the very truth that you have in these verses for us this evening. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Psalm 3, verses 5 through 8, and I'll go ahead and read the whole psalm for context. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant and infallible Word of God written for you and for me today. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord, Selah. Your blessing is upon your people. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, congregation of the Lord, it can be very difficult and overwhelming for God's people to see our enemies rise up against us, and that number grow and grow. King David knew this well, didn't he? And and to boot, The the people that rose up against him weren't just any people. As David wrote Psalm 3, he was running from one of his own sons, his third son, Absalom. David faced the consequence of his own sins. And for sure, it can be challenging when our children disagree with us and are pushing back on our decisions. It can be gut-wrenching when a child distances themselves and turns their back on you and walks away. You can imagine how even more devastating it is when their sin goes all the more deep in their hearts and they pursue evil as they rally others to their side against you and then go after you to try to kill you and to take your throne. And this is what David faced with Absalom. Though Absalom raged against and went after his father, 
David was still loving and merciful toward his son. How do we know that this is true? Well, in fact, in 2 Samuel 18, verse 5, David commanded the commanders of his army to, quote, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And did Absalom succeed in overthrowing his father? No, he didn't. During battle, in the same chapter, we're told that Absalom was riding a mule, and as he rode under the terebinth tree, his long hair was caught in the branches, and the mule rode on, and Absalom was just hanging and flailing about. And one of Joab's men told him that he saw Absalom hanging there, but he couldn't bring himself to do anything to him. He couldn't bring himself to kill him. He was committed to following the king's command. However, Joab broke David's command. He went to Absalom. He drove three spears into his heart, and he and ten men then finished him off. Here in Psalm 3, we've been given a wonderful window, considering this backdrop. We've been given a wonderful window to see the heart and the song of David as he ran. We've been given a window to see the persevering faith of David as he stood on and in the promises of God. Though his enemies and accusers said, there is no help for him in God. David was confident and assured by faith and the grace of God that quite the opposite was true. The redeemed have peace and security under God's protection. And there was great help from God, and it was abundant in David's life, we've seen, even from David's own testimony. God truly was his shield, his glory, and his joy. And David was also comforted by the reality that God heard and listened to his prayers. And so whereas the first half of the psalm focuses on the security the redeemed have in Christ, the second half that we are considering tonight focuses on our peace and salvation. Let's look at the God who sustains in verses 5 and 6, and the God who saves in verses 7 and 8. In verse 5, David says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. You know, when trouble arises, fear and worry in the midst of the stress and concern are common companions. And what's true of their presence? What's true when they are lurking and active in our hearts and in our minds? They rob the fearful and worried of peace. When peace is gone and fear and worry swirl in our minds, what else is one of the first things to go? Sleep. Sleepless nights are often worry-filled nights. Consider God's promise to Israel in Leviticus 26.6. He said, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. Again, what do we hear here? Peace. 
the dashing of fear and worry by the Lord. He would make them lie down. None will make you afraid. Think about God's words to the psalmist while he was in the war camp in Psalm 91, the first six verses. You can turn with me there if you'd like. Psalm 91, the first six verses. In verse 1 we read, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Notice verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Beloved, see, all times of day are covered here with God's protection, God's peace, the lack of fear with his presence and peace. See that the psalmist was able to sleep and to rest, knowing the protection of the Lord. In Psalm 4, verse 8, David makes a similar statement to verse 5 here in Psalm 3. He says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. And why? For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David knew his God. He loved his God. He loved the safety and the protection that was his in him. And he trusted in him. He knew that he was the only one, the only one who could truly protect him, the only one who could truly save him and deliver him. And so we find the recurring message of divinely granted peace in the midst of chaos. Divine peace in the midst of trouble and distress. Peace within when there's trouble without. Peace within when there's trouble without. Many of you may know Thomas Watson or be familiar with some of his writings. He says something that is very helpful here. If God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. And indeed, we see this here, don't we? We know this to be true in our own lives. We see this was true for David as well. For David to lie down and sleep was the fruit of his faith and his trust in God. He had every reason, every external human circumstance to not do so. And so to truly lie down and sleep was the work of God in his heart. Remember that sleeping in Scripture can refer to a couple of different things. It can refer to death. We find this to be true in 1 Corinthians 11, don't we? When Paul gave the words of institution to the Lord's Supper, of the consequences of unworthy partaking of the Supper was 
that some were weak and sick and some slept or died as a result. Paul also refers to death as sleep in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14, where he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now you may have also heard of sleep theorized by some in reference to what happens after we die and before the resurrection. Some have taught an errant doctrine of soul sleep, which is a state of personal unconsciousness and temporary separation from Christ. But what Scripture truly teaches is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul teaches us that in 2 Corinthians 5.8, doesn't he? We remain fully conscious after death as our souls are ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32, section 1, also speaks to this. As it says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Again, there is no soul sleep. Our souls neither die nor sleep, but we are wonderfully ushered into the glorious presence of Christ, our Lord and Savior. But secondly, what else does Scripture speak of sleep being? It speaks of it being real sleep, right? And this is what David was referring to in verse 5 of chapter 3. In God giving him true peace and trouble, he lied down and slept. And David received wonderful quietness and and calmness of spirit in the midst of great danger. And we know this is true also because of what David says next. What does he say? Look at verse 5. In due time, David awoke after having a restful sleep. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 24, we read, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Indeed, this was David's experience. And see how David recognizes that his sleep was sweet and peaceful. And further, he didn't die in his sleep, but he awoke, and why? Because of God's sustaining grace. Beloved, every breath we take, every second we sleep, is from the hand and by the will of God. Even the time when it is His will for us to take our last breath, it's that which He ordained. And it's important that we are mindful of Christ's mercies to us and and our families every night, as well as be thankful every morning when we go to sleep and when we rise again of the Lord's work in sustaining grace. The reality that we live and sleep and wake again 
is evidence of such work and grace, for in Him we live and we move and we have our being. Acts 17, 28, we learn of that. And so in verse 6, though, being mindful of this restful sleep, being mindful of the sustaining grace of God, what does David say in verse 6? I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Beloved, when David considered the truth of God's promise and trusted him, his faith was built up and strengthened. At that point, it didn't matter how many men were against him or where they were in proximity to him. Even as they surrounded him, even as David may see that there was no human way of escape, He was at peace, knowing God was his shield. Indeed, remember what I shared with you last week in the Lord being our shield. He is indeed a shield all around, is what the Hebrew is communicating. God was truly his sustainer. He was his shield all around, even from enemies all around. Again, the message is God's complete and perfect, and thorough protection. And therefore, what does David do? Again, he calls out to the Lord. Look at verse 7 and verse 7a. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. See how David calls God to arise. And what does this mean? It was an expression in the Psalms that's typically sung at the beginning of war. David's desire was that God would rise and would fight for him. Indeed, God fights for his people against their enemies, doesn't he? Remember the words of God to his people in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, to this very point. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, he said, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. And again in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, he said this, And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So this is David's second petition in Psalm 3, isn't it? David prayed to God, who he confessed to be his God by special revelation and covenant. David was his son and his servant, and so he cried out to his God that he would save and that he would deliver his own. Look at the second half of verse 7 in Psalm 3. For you have struck 
all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Beloved, David cried out with these words to God, knowing his help and knowing his fight for him thus far. In 1 Kings 22, verse 24, we see that striking another on the cheek was a sign of contempt and reproach. In verse 24, it says, Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And we know the same to be true with how Christ was treated as he was questioned by the high priest in John 18, verse 22. And when he had said these things, one of the officers stood by and struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Here in Psalm 3, as David's enemies used their mouths, remember the beginning of the psalm, as they used their mouths and words as a weapon against him, God struck them in the mouth and broke that very weapon, David describes. The teeth that were sharpened against God's people were broken. They were silenced and they were put to shame. Beloved, when the power of the church's enemies seems so threatening, never forget how often God has broken their power. His arms are mighty in Christ, and His strike brings great damage. The living God can stop their mouths and He can tie their hands if His will so desires. In Psalm 28, verses 8 and 9, it says this, The Lord is their strength, and He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. My friends, it's good and right for us to pause and to think about the great salvation of our God for us. Salvation doesn't belong to us. We can't save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. We can't save ourselves because salvation isn't of us. It belongs to the Lord. In Jesus Christ, we have been saved, and we're being saved, and we will be saved. There is only one salvation. There is only one way of salvation. And that is through Jesus Christ. What occurred in our past works itself out in the present and comes to consummation in the future. And know this, justification now leads to glorification then. And so I'll leave you with this. Do you know the great work and blessings of both the saving grace and the sustaining grace of God in your life? For the God who protects and fights for you is the God who sustains your very being and gives you peace in even the most dire of storms. Like David, Jesus causes you to lie down in the green pastures. 
He causes you to lie down and sleep when others would think that's impossible. He gives you sweet rest in Him. And though it's tempting and trouble to think that you're alone in the storms that you, are, that you and your family are going through, may these truths remind you that you never really are. Ever. For He is with you. He is at work in and for you. His grace is sufficient for you, whatever His will and His providence would be for you. But also may your praise and adoration of Christ grow all the more tonight as you consider that salvation belongs to Him alone. Beloved, we would often and too often in our own flesh like to take that to ourselves. If I could just have that to control, if I could just do it myself and do it the way that I want to do it in the timing that I believe that I need it in the, in the ways that I want it, that would truly be best. No. Any such thought is foolishness and sinful. Salvation belongs to Him alone. He has the power to save through the danger and the threats and even in the midst of those that are great. It's Christ's right to save when all other helps fail. It's His pleasure to save. He loves you. It's His pleasure to set aside His glory and to come down and become man and to live for you and to suffer for you and to die for you and to rise for you. And beautifully, He promises to save those that are His. And therefore, may you have much joy and comfort here in these wonderful words and these wonderful truths which then move you to proclaim for all to hear that your God is the God of salvation. Amen. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. O our great God and Heavenly Father, indeed to You be the glory for great things You have done. O Lord, Your mercy is amazing. Your grace is amazing in every way. May you daily remind us of this and show us the depths of that truth. That we would truly be humbled and joyful because we see you, Lord Jesus, more. And we see your love, and we know your work. Oh, great God, we, we pray that you would continue to sustain us by your grace. Our lives are in your hand, and we praise you for that. May, you, may we be faithful to serve you while you give us breath to do so. May you receive all the glory. We thank you. We praise you. We adore you. 
and we proclaim on the rooftops the God who saves and the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.